Hello, everybody. I want to welcome you back to season two of the Jane Bond Show, from execution to excellence. And I am your host, Jane Bond, the serial entrepreneur who will be sharing with you valuable life lessons and interviewing influencers from around the country who have broken through to success, along with giving you advice on navigating through the game. Today, our topic is I'm Still Laughing. Our special guest is someone you will remember that came into our homes every night and made us laugh, cry, dance, and want to hug our loved ones. She shares with us the ups and downs and the fears of being a female comedian on the road in a male-dominated business. She also shines a light on Hollywood, having issues with her weight and talks about her breakdown of considering suicide after the stage went dark and learning how to love herself again to move on. She understood and was grateful that she had invested in real estate and was able to sell her home before it was taken away during hard times in order to survive. Without any further ado, our special guest from In Living Color and Living Single, Miss Woo Woo Woo, Kim Coles herself. Hey, Kim. How are you? Hello, Jane Bond. Hello. I'm wonderful. How are you? Thank you. Oh, I'm great. And thank you for joining us today. I am so delighted to have you on the show. You have no idea. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah. When I saw you, I was like, wait a minute. Is that Kim? I need to go over there and say hello, rehash this relationship. (laughs) Because I (laughs) years ago, actually, in L.A., with Wendy Raquel Robinson, and I'll never forget mm-hmm. that. We just chit-chatted, and all we did was laugh, and it was just girl talk. And after I never saw you again, but, you know, I saw you on TV <laughs> and so forth, but it was so nice just to run into you. Nice, nice. Let's do it. <laughs> right. So let's dive right in here. Um, why don't you tell us, uh, tell our audience a little bit about you? You know, I know you grew up in Brooklyn. I know you're a New York girl. I'm a Philly girl. So, you know, we're like neighbors. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit about growing up in Brooklyn. Yeah. So, uh, I grew up in Brooklyn in the sixties and seventies. I, I don't mind telling my age at the time of this recording, I'm 57 and a half. Ooh, so I was okay. born in 1962 okay. and, uh, Brooklyn Still, you know, I haven't lived there in a really long time, but I got to say, and, and you understand, especially Philly, I always relate well to Philly girls and Newark girls. You know, there's this energy of living in a city that anything can happen and that you are constantly aware of different cultures, different foods. Like I grew up eating all kinds of foods, hearing 17 different languages before I even made it to the subway. And so I think that that makes us... Um, worldly in in my mind anyway it makes us aware and um, able to adapt to different cultures or at least that's what it did for me Um, had a really nice upbringing I would say my parents were married for a long time and they weren't married and so you know there's that child of divorce thing and making shifts and one of my favorite things about my you know early years is that although I went to a private Uh, you know, like parochial Lutheran elementary school, my mom sent me to Girl Scouts in the hood. Mm. 
So I got this amazing amazing balance of, you know, structure and uniforms and, you know, old fashioned, you know, you know, learning how to write well and read well. And then this other mix of this other world that was really sort of um, down to earth and urban and um, racially mixed and just wonderful. And I feel that it helped create a balance for me. Um, and in fact, I, I love to call it a Puerto Rican Girl Scout because a lot of the girls were Puerto Rican. So I got a chance to get this whole other rich culture to add to the one that I was from. And so I feel it made me well-rounded. I feel it made me really balanced. And I feel like it's a part of who I am today. I and yeah. the other piece is that when I started doing stand-up comedy, we'll get to this in depth if you want to, but I realized that the first performances that I did were imitating people that I had met in the New York City streets. So you meet, like I said, many different cultures, many different languages, all of that. So my first performances always included me doing a little slice of life of the people I was growing up with and people I was seeing. And so uh, that's my beginning, beginning. Um, By the time I got to high school, um, I, I didn't know that I had a sense of humor. I remember watching all of the great television shows in the 70s, all the great variety shows, Carol Burnett and Flip Wilson and Laughing. Oh, yeah. And by the, yeah, just like great stuff. I just remember sitting watching TV, not even understanding what it was, but thinking that's what I wanted to do. And so by the time I got to high school, uh, because I was a fluffy girl, I was so concerned that they were going to tease me for being fluffy. Then instead, I would make jokes and do imitations of people and do these funny things and so much so that it became I became known as crazy Kim Cold although I was never called chubby Kim Cold like people laughed with me instead of at me and I had no idea that I was developing skills that I would use years to come and to this day well that's great so that's mm -hmm. a segue into my next question for you you know, what were some of your other challenges growing up? You say you had those challenges, you know, being a fluffy girl. And a fluffy is beautiful, too, by the way. There's a lot of beautiful well, fluffy girls around. <laughs> well, fluffy, well, we call it fluffy now, but back then they just called it fat. Right. You know, there was not a whole lot of conversation around acceptance and fat acceptance and loving who you are. It was just you were exactly. either fat or you weren't. Yeah, it was a very different time. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean that we sister. still don't pay. Yeah, I have a sister, you know, just to interject something here. I have a sister who also, so I definitely understand that. And today it's looked at a little bit differently. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Exactly, exactly. Or at least the availability. I'm not saying that, you know, people don't still get teased, but at least there's enough images of, uh, you know, beautiful people who are accepting their body as they are. And the truth is, even if you want to lose some weight and be healthy, I think you have to love yourself first before you can take that journey. That's and so there's so much, I'm so grateful that now there's so much, um, so much conversation and, and out there around loving yourself first. Uh, that just didn't exist back in my day, back in the 1800s, you know. <laughs> Well, there's a lot of positive energy out there right now towards, you know, people, especially as far as inclusion is concerned, you know, with yeah. people that, you know, have weight issues or, or, you know, were teased and bullied, you know, back in the days when things were a little differently. I mean, yeah. myself being a tall girl and not developing so quickly, you know, having, you know, 
some meat on my body. I was really thin and I got to mm. from the other end, yeah. which got, I yep. got home crying, you know, for other things. So I, I get the challenges of growing up, you know, from that aspect and mine. And it's not fun. Yep. It's not fun. No. So there's a lot of positive um, uh, uh, information out here to make people like you and I from both spectrums feel better about ourselves and, you know, move on and move forward with a positive attitude. So thank thank God. So I I know acting wasn't your first love. Comedy was, correct? Well, I would just say performance was. So I didn't know that what Carol were doing, like, of course I knew she was doing comedy. Mm -hmm. I just knew she had a show. She did characters. She was hysterical. I didn't, I didn't think about it like, oh, I'm going to be a comedian now, or oh, I'm going to be an actress now. I would just say that I call myself a a comedian slash actress or actress slash comedian. My way into the business was comedy, Uh, but very quickly I got hired to be an actress. I have trained to do neither. (laughs) You know, yeah, along the lines I picked up. the way to do it in my own voice and you know you learn what to do in the format for things but so yeah you could say that comedy is my first love but all of it became you know you know I really I also come from the era of the the television personality right so you know I'll take people back there were people who would get booked on talk shows who to this day, I have no idea what they did. They were just great personalities on TV and they get a chance to sit next to Johnny Carson or Mike Douglas or whoever the talk show host was and just talk about their book or talk about what they do, you know, just those kinds of things. And so um, I just, I see myself as a comedic actress slash personality. I came out of that realm. You, do you know, do you know yep. what I'm saying? So, yeah. So it's almost like I don't want to label because I want I, I get to do it all and I want to do it all. Oh, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And you can do it all, apparently. Apparently so. Right. Oh, apparently. I'll hat off to you. Absolutely. I know what you mean. It was... You know, and these were people, personalities, people that had authors, had that had written books. They really weren't actually television personalities. So you're right. I no. Watching, you know, I'm not far away from you as far as age is concerned. So I remember that same era. I remember watching the Johnny Carsons. I remember watching yeah. all and all those. Oh, it was such a delicious time. <laughs> it was. So we're talking, I'm going to date myself. So there was Kitty Carlisle and Ar- Orson Bean and even Tony Randall, who was, you know, a well-known actor and had a TV show, but he also would go on the shows and just be funny and be weird and wonderful. And so those, those are the times I'm talking about. And those are the people that I fashioned myself after because they had personality, they had rich, full, amazing lives. And even though I didn't quite understand it, I knew I wanted to do it. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. 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 So tell us a little bit about your career as a comedian. Mm. So um, I, let me just say this. I have to tell you about the first night I discovered that stand-up was what I wanted to do. Okay. So I was in, I was in a, a beauty pageant for plus size women. So I dropped in and out of college about a hundred times. And one of the times I dropped out, um, uh, plus size modeling started to really take off. And so there was a beauty pageant 
sponsored by a magazine called BBW, Big Beautiful Woman. I and all you had to do magazine, send in, right? Yes. All, <laughs> all you had to do was send in your picture, and they said yes or not, and I did. And then later on, about 30 days before we were meant to do the pageant, they called and said, oh, by the way, we've decided to add a talent competition. Like, this is going to be a real pageant. I was like, talent? I don't have any talent. I'm like 20 years old. I'm really confused. I don't know who I am. And they were like, oh, well, you'll figure it out. I remember thinking, well, gosh, I don't have any of the traditional beauty pageant talents of singing or, or dancing or playing a, a piano concerto. You know, this is a time when ladies were very, it was very traditional. Yes. And so I thought, well, what can you do? I said, well, you were really funny in high school. You were able to get people to laugh. So why don't you write a comedy routine about beauty pageants? Oh, okay. Now, that was innovative. <laughs> <laughs> it was innovative, and it was also risky, because I'm about to do something very meta. I'm about to do a routine about a beauty pageant in a beauty pageant. Yes. Which is a little <laughs> bit of a risk. It was a risk, but it was a calculated risk, because I remember saying to myself, well, the audience is probably going to be an audience full of fluffy girls. And if I... Um, Talk about the skinny girls in the skinny girl pageants and why we're so much better. I might be able to get through. And, and, and by the way, how do you twirl a baton and say you want to be Miss America? That made no sense to me because that's not a talent. That's a skill. Okay. And what the audience didn't know is I really do know how to twirl a baton. All right now. <laughs> in, in high school, in high school, I was on the cheering squad and I was a twirler. And so what I did was I ripped off my dress. And underneath, I was wearing the same little silly sequin outfit that I had just talked about and dissed. Meanwhile, I had made it while sitting in my bedroom. I sewed sequins everywhere on this leotard. And I twirled my baton to the tune of Thriller. Oh. And <laughs> this is back in the... It was ridiculous and silly and, and out there and innovative, to use your word. And what I did was, this is back in the day when we were making um, mixtapes. And so I made a tape for myself and I set it up so that Vincent Price's um, iconic laugh in Thriller would be just at the point where I was going to toss the baton up in the air. So my thinking was, if I catch it, great. But if I don't catch it, it's even better. <laughs> and so I timed it so that I tossed the thing up. Here comes the laugh. Ah, 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 ah. And right. I said to the audience, what do you think I'm going to do? Catch that thing and break a nail? They laughed. It was corny and it was crazy and kooky. And I, I got to tell you, I ended up winning first runner up. Okay. And right. <laughs> you said you took a and risk I, and it worked. It was a, say it again. I said you took a calculated risk and it worked. It worked. Yes. Now, here's why it worked. I remember saying to myself, oh, my goodness, I didn't win the crown, but I did win comedy that night. Yes. And all of the lessons have now, listen, at that time, I didn't get how, I, well, well, let me say this. I remember standing on stage and feeling the waves of love and laughter come and hit me on stage because that's what it felt like. These people were laughing and they were loving on me and they were enjoying it. I was like, oh my goodness, this is it. I remember having a visceral response that this is what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. Amazing. Now, 
I then um, just, it was, uh, it was amazing. And I remember, you know, I was first runner up and a couple of girls were like, you should have won. I was like, no, you don't understand. I, I came what I came here to get. And I did win. <laughs> I did win. And this is around the time uh, or shortly thereafter that comedy was beginning to explode because Eddie Murphy was becoming huge and he was becoming a rock star and comedy clubs. I remember seeing a post one time that said, we're looking for our next Eddie Murphy or Eddie Murphy yet. Oh, wow. (laughs) Right. And I had already been a student of comedy. I'd watched the great comedians on TV. Um, and so I began to throw my hat into the ring of stand-up comedy a short, like a few, like, you know, I began to dabble here and there. And so that was my beginning, like, oh, this is what I need to be doing. I always kept a day job and I would perform late at night. And there came a point where, you know, being out in the clubs until one, two o'clock in the morning and taking the subway home late at night was, you know, just getting really old. And at some point I quit my job and I became a hostess at a restaurant so I could still work the comedy clubs. and. I booked um, a show called It's Showtime at the Apollo. Um, I started getting, yeah, I started getting local television and I started getting national television. And a few years later, um, I ran into Keenan Ivory Wayans who said to me, aren't you that girl from the Apollo? I was like, yes, I am. He says, I'm going to be doing a show soon. I want you to be on my show. I want you to audition for my show. And I was like, I don't even know what it is, but okay. Fantastic. so here's how growing up in New York, remember I said, talked about all the rich culture and characters? Well, he wanted comedians who could do characters. So I made up a routine that I called the Miss America pageant, and I did five girls from the Miss America pageant in about six minutes. And that is the thing that won me the audition for In Living Color. Okay. And so it's just a, it's a testament to the fact that the lessons are that if you just show up and do who you are, just be who you are, mm-hmm. um, um, do you, you will win. Right. And that's a lesson that I began to see. Yeah, use everything that's around you. So, so many of us are looking for outside forces to figure things out or to understand things. And I don't, I don't mean to say that you shouldn't study or you know, get in, you know, invest in yourself to get better at what you do. But the truth is you actually already have within you the, the beginning elements of greatness and excellence to use your term. And you can have everything you want just by being you and then, you know, working on it and, and fluffing it up and making it awesome. But you already have, what if everything you already have is all you really is all you really need. That's what I say all the time, Kim. And that's, yeah. you know, that's what this show is about from execution to excellence. Because if you yeah. just execute what you have inside of you and know, and know that you can do it and just believe in yourself. And like you said, mm-hmm. love yourself. There's nothing that can stop you. Indeed. You know, Indeed. That's where you get to excellent. You just ha- excellence. That's where you have to just say, you know what? This is it. I am who I am and I'm going to make it. Nothing's going to stop. Yep. Nothing's going to get in my way and it's going to happen no matter what. And yep. that's what I try to share with people all the time from execution to excellence. You do what you need to do. You show up, you be the part and you be who you are. And trust me, people will love you. 
It's really true. And, and not only will they love you, here's the other piece of it. They will see themselves in you and go, wait a minute, if she could do it, maybe I could do it too. Like you can be inspiring just by being you. And you have no idea how many people are watching and will go like, we'll see the courage that you display. Uh, we'll see the calculated risks that you took and be inspired to take it for themselves. And the world is waiting on them anyway. I really think so. I always say the world is waiting for you to broadcast your brilliance. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. They just have mm -hmm. to step one foot in front of the other and not be afraid. Indeed. Fear can be so damaging to people. Indeed. 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 Yep. And having these conversations with people like yourself and my past guests to let people know that everybody goes through it. Everybody has a yep. for the breakthrough. And we're all, yep. you know, we're all more of the same than we are different. I and agree. It's, yeah. It's just important that we embrace each other, you know? So I, that's I agree. I'm so happy. I'm so happy you have. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you this too. To um, I'll tell you that I have always, I remember when I was a Girl Scout hearing that, you know, I'm, it, it was, I'm sure I heard it other places, but I just, it really sunk into me that, this whole thing that there's no two snowflakes that are just alike. Oh. And I remember the woman, our, our troop leader saying, and by the way, you're the same way. There's no one else in the whole wide world that's just like you. And at the time, it actually caused me a great deal of stress because I thought, well, if there's nobody who's just like me, who will I relate to? Like, who will be my friend? Like, I, I you know, I always thought that I was different and weird, a little goofy. And like, who's going to be my friend if there's no one just like me? And I realized that, that the dichotomy of that is that there is no one just like you. And yet, all of us are still the same. We all want the same things. We all want to love and be loved and be accepted. We all want to be heard and be seen in some way and to be acknowledged. And so there's a really interesting mix of, I don't know if you call it di dichotomy or like a paradox of being both different and the same at the same time. And therein lies the mystery and the magic of life. <laughs> so, yeah. Because our biggest desire is to live. We Indeed. all want to live and live full lives and have friends and family and husbands and siblings. I mean, we just all want to have a full life no matter what. And find our yep. happiness when we do. Yep. So, yep. yes, I'm so happy that you are having this conversation because it's so, <laughs> and you know, it, it just feels so warm when, you know, you can relate to someone that really gets that because everybody, yep. everybody needs to um, hear others talk and share. So yep. I'm so pleased that you're sharing this. So I'm just going to um, digress for a minute because I know everyone wants to hear about, you know, the whole living single, living in color. So we're going to digress a little. I want to ask you something first. I know you said you ran into Keenan Ivan, Ivory Wayne, but before that, as a female, were there any challenges that you dealt with as a female comedian? Just lots and lots and lots, lots and lots and lots and lots. I don't focus on it but I you know because I don't you, you move past it but first of all I'll say this so stand-up comedy has been uh, uh, and continues to be a very male dominated sport right 
Um, there are more men doing it. There are more men who book the comedy clubs. I mean, it's just a very male-dominated sport. And for many years, in fact, there's a beautiful series that's on right now called, the, oh, what's the name of it? The Wonderful Mrs. What's her name? It's a great show about this female comedian uh, from way back when, like, you know, there just weren't oh, that many yes, female I comics know, in. I know, I know the name. I can't think of it. I'm going I'm to look it up while we're talking. <laughs> um, the Wonderful Mrs. I think it's an Amazon show. Uh, and it's really, really wonderful. Um, and so there are men who don't think women are funny. There are women who don't think women are funny. Right. Um, um, if you are, and, and here's what I think it is. I think that to be funny means you have to be smart. Well, to be funny means you have to be clever. To be clever means you have to be smart. And there are people in this world who don't like smart women. I'm just going to say it like that. Okay. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dissing men. I'm not bashing men, but I, I know from being in the world, in the world, in the world of comedy, that there are men who go, I just don't think women are funny. Um, and I think that um, wit equals intelligence. And I just think there's some men for whom uh, would be really threatened by a woman who's smart enough to have her own voice, smart enough to be able to answer back in a funny way that would, you know, possibly put him down or embarrass him in some way. Right. Um, I don't do this type of humor myself. Um, but there are women who do, and I think that there are men who are um, threatened by it. By the way, the name of the show is The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Right, Mrs. Maisel, right. I the it. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, it's hysterical. It's so good. And it's a harken back to a time when women were just uh, being allowed to even be in these clubs. So there were times when I would audition for things and not get it because they only let guys in. There were times when the guys would stand in the back of the com comedy club and just look at you like, yeah, whatever. I just never let it stop me. I never let it stop. Um, there were times, like I said, where there were guys who would say, I don't think women are funny. There are times when you would be performing and a, a big name comedian who happens to be a guy would come in the club and they would cut your time short so he could do time. Right. That just happened enough times. Um, uh, also, there's the thing where the way most comics make their money is you have to go on the road. I don't care what city you're from, even if you're in New York or L.A. or Atlanta or any major city, those clubs typically don't pay enough for you to make a living. You have to go on the road and make your money. So as a woman, you have to protect yourself. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, so you're staying often in hotels that are not, you know, like these comedy clubs don't put you up at the Ritz or at the Waldorf Astoria. They put you up at the little motel down the way. And people know that the local comedian or the new comedian, or I'm sorry, the out-of-town comedian, they know where you're staying. Um, you have to, you know, make sure you, you know, you lock your doors and make sure somebody walks you to your room. And there was a level of protection that I needed to make sure that I had um, on the road. Yeah, so it's, it's, so it's, it's a multi-layered experience. I, um, I, I remember there was a time when I stopped wearing dresses on stage because guys would make comments or, you know, make little, you know, you just have to be, you know, just be comfortable. You have to feel comfortable with what you're wearing on stage because you become a sexual object or they think that you're a sexual object and think they think they can say anything they want to say to you. It's just really, there was a lot of that. Um, yeah. I, luckily I ended up getting married. And so my husband, who was also a comedian, would sometimes come with me and nobody was messing with him because he was, 
a big guy. Right. <laughs> he was a tough guy. And so I had a level of protection by other male guys who respected him. He would say, you know, look out for my wife. And so I did have some extra protection because of that. So there is that. And like I said, to this day, there are people who don't think that female comics don't, don't, you know, aren't funny. And, and co female comics don't make the money that male comics do. Right. Um, that's still the case. Um, it's yeah. changing, but it's still the case. I think I heard, um, I think Tiffany Haddish said something about that being on the road and being safe and being a woman and staying in different hotels and everything. And, you know, that was kind of the first time I, that ever popped in my head. I never thought about, oh, that, yeah. you know, being oh, you know, yeah. a single woman, a good looking woman by yourself out there, you know, have not having someone to protect you. That could be a scary thing. So it can be. Yeah. Thank God for you. Thank God you did have someone out oh, there. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah, they used to have these things too. Like, so the comedy clubs would buy a condo. In order to save money, they would buy a condo. And the comedians would stay at the comedy condo. Oh. Um, I always requested to stay at a hotel because the comedy condos were often not kept very clean. Um, you didn't know if there were locks on the doors or not. And then also sometimes the guys would bring home girls from the comedy, you know, bring home the waitresses or get, get a bunch of strippers. It just became you know, people drinking and doing drugs. And I was like, no, I, I'll take a Motel 6 over something else because at least I can push the dresser up against the door or something. Right. Yeah. So I was always very keen and keen to keep myself safe. And like yep. you said, it was male dominated. So of course they were going to do whatever they wanted to do at that time. Too. They did. And, and, and luckily I will say, look, I had many more wonderful experiences than I had rocky bad ones because I would, you know, engender someone to protect me. Like, you know, in other words, I would, how do I would say, how would I say this? I would ask for protection <laughs> you know so it's like you know you know how it is do you mind walking me to my room please i would turn them into gentlemen whether they were or not like you're gonna walk me to my room right thanks so yeah. much bob thanks jimmy thanks Absolutely. you know so, so like you 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 engender being their little sister or their or their big sister or their whatever by expecting them to act like gentlemen Absolutely. and i think that that was part of it too like if you require that of a man he will have to step up to the plate. Now, I don't know if that works all the time, but it seemed to work with me. <laughs> yeah. I'm expecting well, you to treat me like a lady. Uh, so let's just go ahead and treat me like a lady and make sure I'm safe and walk me to my room. Thank you. Right, and not treat you like one of the boys. You, she'll be all right. Let her go on and down the hall by herself. Right, right, right. Well, that was smart. <laughs> that was very smart. Another yeah. calculation yeah. you did, girl. So <laughs> let's talk about living color. Mm. It was a really uh, I love interesting. <laughs> oh, well, I'll say that I I knew right away that it was going to be a hit, and I knew right away it was going to you know just really knock it out of the park. Oh, I will also say that it was a very interesting place to work. It was a highly competitive place to work, um, and I have since found out that sketch comedy shows are typically. So how did you know it was going to be a hit? What what made you think that as soon as mm. you got there or, you know, what made you say, oh, this is going to be a hit right away? Because there hadn't been anything like it ever, you know, a multi-culty show. Um, um, 
and, and, it, and it was very much like, um, uh, you know, like the shows I'd grown up watching, the, the Laugh-Ins and the Carol Burnett. But it, it was a new time. It was hip. Uh, it was multi-culty. It was run by a funny, a family of funny people. There just wasn't anything like it and hadn't been anything like it in a really long time. And it, had know, and it was everything. It was, sorry? It had a lot of energy as soon as it came on. Yes, a lot of energy, a lot of edge. And I'll tell you a story a lot of people don't know. So we shot the pilot in 1989. And we, we were waiting to hear the result that had been picked up for almost a year. Okay. And I remember that someone made a bootleg copy and it was selling in Harlem on the street. So <laughs> I had people cut. So I would be on my way to the Apollo and somebody, oh, yeah, I saw that show. Like, what show? And I think, I don't know if it was titled In Living Color at the time. I don't remember. Yeah, I saw that show, you, you know, that funny comedy show. Like, how did you get to see it? So someone took the tape and made a bootleg copy and it was selling on the street. So that's the other way I knew because people were loving the sketches. They were loving this, you know, group and we were hungry and we were excited to be there. And so we, I just knew it was going to get picked up long before it actually did because of all that energy. You just saw the stars (laughs) happening already. Yeah, Yeah. It just felt like it was going to happen. And um, it was a. Like I said, there was a lot of energy when that show came on, and it's funny yeah. that you remind you of Laughing and the other sketches, sketch um, comedy shows. Because now that you said that, it did. It, when you really think about it, yeah, it did really remind you of those shows because they were pretty, you know, kind of cookie cutter, and you you knew what was going to happen, and you tuned in because you loved that, and that's what you wanted yeah. to do. But when this came on with Jim Carrey, with the Keenan, I mean, you and the Fly Girls, wow. It was like, yeah. what is this? And you just stood yeah. there watching and wanting me, I wanted to dance like everybody else. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. So, yeah, so, yeah that was. Yeah, really- so it was, an, it was an exciting time. It was also a. a um, I'll tell you, it was a tough time because it is a, it was a very, competitive environment. Um, I only lasted one year. I was actually let go after the first year. Um, And I'm grateful now. It was really tough then, but I'm grateful now that he let me go because I wouldn't have gone on to do Living Single. Um, Another amazing. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, in an environment that was not competitive at all. It was actually a very loving, easy, we all got along, like we got along like family immediately. I also knew that show was going to be a hit. So like I said, it was really tough at first. Uh, and then I, like I said, I was let go. And then it became like, oh my goodness, this is where I'm supposed to be. Right. So yeah, yeah. Living Color, what happened after Living Color? Because you had a little time there. Yeah, well, I, I, I went into this world that... Gosh, it's, it, it doesn't happen to everyone, but it's good. I went into what I, I well, I, I like to call it meet and eat. Okay. So because I had a nice buzz around me, I went into a lot of meet and eat restaurants. So a, a lot of meet and eat um, um, meetings where you meet with various executives or at various um, um, production companies and they take you out to dinner and then you have enough 
food left over for breakfast or you go out to breakfast and you have food for lunch. It was just a great time. Okay. So I was getting lots of free meals and people were interested in me. And so I, I went into development deals. So I had two holding deals and I don't know that they do them as much anymore, but they give you money not to do anything. It's the most amazing and frustrating thing at the same time. So we're talking NBC or Warner Brothers or whatever production company will say, we like you so much that we want to develop something for you. We're going to give you this many thousands of dollars so that you don't sign with anybody else. Wow. So they, they're called holding deals because, because they hold you. I, I cut you off. What would you say? I said, I'm so happy you explained that to the audience. Yes. So they're called holding deals because you are held to... In, in waiting for them to develop something for you. That sounds great until your deal expires and nothing has been created for you. Or you have meetings with people and they just don't get your voice. Or they try to put you with someone who is not, you know, a good fit for you. Okay. And so you get all this money, and, you, and so I was on the road doing stand-up because I could still go do stand-up, but you're sort of, so I spent about almost, I would say almost two years in, oh my God, are they ever going to make a show for me? Or they would make a show idea and it just wasn't the right fit. So it was both amazing and frustrating at the same time. It was an interesting mix. Um, uh, and, and you wait, did you and wait, have wait. anything in mind that you were thinking of developing yourself at that time? Yeah, I had ideas, but you, it's not like um, I didn't have the clout to get it made myself. Got it, got it. So, it's, you know, they always pair you. So this is how it worked. Generally, it worked this way. Your agent would pair you with a writer slash producer that was already in their stable. And together you would go create something and take it to a network or take it to a production company. Okay. I didn't have the, the, the I had a, a big enough name that people wanted to take meetings with me. I created a couple of ideas, but they never, they wouldn't listen to me. And I tell you why they wouldn't, because, how do I put this? Most producers want to get their own projects made. Okay. They want to get their own projects. So I had a great idea for a show, but it was like, oh, yeah, that's good. But you know what I have? I've got something that's a little bit better. It's a little bit more. It's already fleshed out. Let's go in with this idea instead. Right. And I was too new in the, in the business for me to put my foot down and go, no, we're going to make my idea because I didn't have the clout to make my own idea. I still needed to be paired with a producer who has what they call a um, thinking of the name of it. I got to come, I, hopefully I'll come up with the name before we're done. It's no, it's called a network approved producer. Okay. So no one, at least I, at least I don't know of anybody who can just walk off the street with an idea. You really do need to be, my understanding at the time was you need to be paired with somebody who also has enough clout and it's a, it's, a, it's a producer that they want to work with or a director that they also want to work with. And that actually means you go in with strength. So that of means course. Kim Coles is considered a talent we want to work with. You know, Joe Smith is a producer we've worked with, in the bef bef worked with before. He knows how to run a room, and I'll explain that to you in just a minute. And we know that if we put the two of them together, they're stronger together than they are apart. Absolutely. And the term run the room, run a room means... Joe Smith knows how to assemble a team of writers 
that can get a show made, get a show on the air. So it really was a place of strength to be paired with someone else who also was somebody they wanted to work with. So it would be great to say, yes, I'm going to walk in my own idea. I don't know anybody who has the clout when they're new in the business to walk in and get a show made. Right. And I'm you sure. almost always get paired. And, you know, I, I tell you this too, you know, this is a thing when people always say, we need to make our own projects. I go, okay, you do need to make your own projects, but you still need to take it to someone to get it made. And Tyler Perry didn't exist at the time. <laughs> you know, these other big names, Will Packard didn't exist at the time. Spike Lee was doing his thing on the movie front. Robert Townsend was doing his thing on the movie front, but there was nobody who you could go to and go, let's make our own show. It just didn't work that way. You needed right. to be paired with someone who somebody else approved of. And even today, you still need distribution. You still need someone to put up the money. You still need someone. And I think now we have more ways to get that done. But back in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s, you still needed someone to approve putting you on their network. That's right. just the way it works. And for someone to walk right. in and be able to pitch the idea, they needed some type exactly. of power, Exactly. Maybe won an Emmy, exactly. you know, uh, some type of an award or did many, many shows prior to that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> because they need to have the faith in them and you and the team before they're going to put hundreds of thousands of dollars behind it. Now, do I think that there are ways to do it now? I do. I think there's so many independent producers who get it done. But back in that time, there was no one that I could just, you know, you know, the old school where you just come on, let's put a show together and get it on the air. You still need to walk it into someone's office who has to approve it. Absolutely. Uh, like I said, now that's changed. Uh, and now there's a billion places where you can get content on the air, but still somebody's got to approve it unless you're buying your own network. That's just the way I see it. And, and so back then, for sure. Doing digital, you know, they're going with the digital platform. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, YouTube. Well, you can do that. Internet. But you still need money to make it. Absolutely. And yeah, you can go the YouTube route. Um, and we know that there are shows and people who have done well doing it their own. And then what happens, the big boys notice them and then give them their own deal. Well, so that is a way to do it. I'm yeah. sorry? Yeah, that I said, or give them a shot and, you know, whether it flies or yeah. not, you still, it still has to fly or not. So yeah, yeah. yeah. whether it's you, it still, has to, anything still else. has to be good. Yes. So there are ways to do it. There are ways that there's, there's, there's levels to this, as we say. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the good news is that I had this holding deal so that kept me afloat financially. The bad news is nothing got made. The good news is I was released. And one time that I was released, I had a meeting with Warner Brothers. And they said, we want to do a show about women, about African, excuse me, African American women and what they think about men and careers and friendships. And oh, by the way, what do you think of Queen Latifah? And I was like, oh, I love Queen Latifah. They're like, great. And I had no idea that they were having meetings with her at the same time. Oh. So they put a deal together with just the two of us. They gave us a list of writers that they that were approved, that they were looking at, that they thought could handle creating this show. And Yvette Lee Bowser was chosen to create Living Single. Ooh. And at the time, it wasn't even called Living Single. It was called My Girl. Okay. And uh, they, you know, 
she wrote the pilot, they, she cast it, and I'm telling you from the first day of rehearsal, there was nothing but love, nothing but magic, and I knew the show was going to be a huge hit immediately, immediately. Oh, yeah, I felt it. I felt it in my bones. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, to feel that, and then all of a sudden you're there and it's happening. I mean, yeah. how did you manifest Sinclair? Because we loved Sinclair. I mean, we loved all well, of Well, you know. But Sinclair <laughs> was sweet and she had that big crush. <laughs> yeah, you know, Sinclair is and was a big part of who I was and who I am. Okay. Um, as Yvette and I sat down developing the character and just asking questions and talking and also knowing that sitcoms have a format and have a formula and you need contrast. So knowing that Queen Latifah's character was going to be strong and smart and own her own business, wouldn't it be fun to have her goofy, kooky, weird cousin um, who was not, she wasn't not smart, she was just super naive. Um, and super unjaded by the world. Right. And so she was just a piece of who I wanted to protect <laughs> within <laughs> me. Um, what's really fun is that Sinclair, I was actually the youngest, no, I take that back. I was the oldest girl. I was the oldest cast member on that show. I was eight to nine years older than wow. anybody else on that show. Yet my character played younger. So we've got Max, who's this accomplished att attorney. I'm, I'm nine years older than, than Erica Alexander. Okay. I'm eight years older than, I, I think eight, like I said, eight, between eight and nine years older than each of the girls. So they were all still in their 20s. I was already in my 30s. And so there's this beautiful contrast that was going on at the same time. They were either 23 or 24, respectively, and you do the math to figure out how old I was, between okay. 31 and 32. Um, and so here was this contrast. I was playing somebody, you know, it's still in my 20s, but she was just who, the piece of me that I would want to protect from the world if I could. Oh, well, you pulled it off well. And you're, you're oh, thank you. doting on... Um, Odie was fantastic. I mean, and yeah. Odie was, you know, kind of that guy, you know, just sweet and doing his own thing, working. Yeah. And, and it was a sweet combination of you guys. It was. And, oh, oh Obi. Oh, Overton. Oh, Obi. Yeah. It was so sweet. Yeah. And people really, really resonated with it because it was an innocent, sweet, loving, um, we were kind to each other. That's and true. I think that these images really needed to be seen. And I remember reading an article years, years um, while we were doing the show where the reporter said, you know, if, if this show were ever nominated for an Emmy, you know, as, uh, over 10, you know, John Hinton and Kim Cole should be, should be nominated for Emmys because of the quality of work. And I'm not saying nobody else, but just this article is about the two of us. Yes. That um, they really should be nominated for Emmys, in particular for the images that they're projecting. And even though people thought that we were dumb, you got to be really smart to play someone who's super naive that way. Absolutely. And that was super sweet, super sweet. And you guys were super sweet to each other. I mean, it was very beautiful yep. as characters. I mean, that's why we, mm -hmm. I mean, and Max and uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I can't think of her, her character's name. Uh, Erica but, Alexander. What was her character? Oh, Maxine Shaw, attorney at law. Yes, we loved her in Max's voice, oh, the, in the voice. The voice was just oh. 
<laughs> yes. We and, love uh, Carson. And, and before you even ask, I'll tell you, yes, we are all still friends. We all still contact each other. We saw sometimes it's via text and sometimes it's really um, just, you know, just we actually get to talk and hang out and hug. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, it was a great yeah. cast. I mean, yeah, those, that, that's my time of growing up and loving those shows. We don't have that anymore. You know, everything is a little bit yeah. down, but those shows really resonated with us in the 90s coming up. And the 90s were very, you know, important years, especially in my life coming up, because it was just a different time. Things were evolving. And we, you know, we had the Bill Cosby show. We had in Living Color, we had, you know, Living Single. I mean, we had so many shows that showed so many positive, you know, portraits yeah. of who we are as Black people. And it was just an amazing time. And now it's just a little different. They evolved. It has evolved. I mean, now we're the new normal, the blended family. You know, we got the Blackish, the Mixish, and all these other yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. But this time, was a very important time in my life and I'm so many others of our audience that's listening too. And, you know, like I said, being a woman of color, just having positive mm -hmm. images out there was amazing. And um, I'm just happy that I was a witness to it. So I, I, yeah. I take my hat off to you guys. You did an amazing job. So, yeah, we were, we were very proud of it too. And we love that we get to be those images. And, and, and the best part I'll say this to you, or say, I say the lasting part is I meet people who say, I've introduced my daughter to the show. Or I've introduced my son. Uh, I've met three young Sinclairs. So their mama named them after me or Regine or something. And it was really important. And so I'm really proud of that. I am. Yeah. You, you should be, because like I said, you guys really gave us something to you know, look forward to watching and having positive um, images of ourselves on television. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that long ago, you know, where we weren't included. <laughs> so, no. I mean, no. with these jobs as an attorney, you know, as a loving couple, I mean, that was something different for us. So I, I, I thank you and the whole cast and everyone else that was in that time period, bringing that forward to us. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Absolutely, and I'm glad you manifested Sinclair because she was a good <laughs> <laughs> I love her, and uh, people still say woo-woo-woo to me today. By the way, woo-woo-woo is something that my mother used to say to me and my baby brother when words would fail her. And so I ad-libbed that on the set of Living Single, and people uh, still say woo-woo-woo to me to this day. It's the sweetest thing. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. And I'm so happy to hear that you all are still friends because I know Hollywood could be a little scary sometimes, you know, and well, that brings me to my next question. <laughs> Can you discuss <laughs> some of the challenges you faced in Hollywood? I mean, because you, you're, you're a real New Yorker. Um, like you said in the beginning, you know, when you being raised in New York with different cultures and hearing 20 different languages and food, from all over the world, right there at your fingertips. I mean, that is education in itself, living in New York. And yes. people don't get that. I always tell young people, if you get an opportunity, go live in New York because New York will teach you how to work. And it also- Oh, no doubt, live, no doubt. You know. Well, I mean, again, it's the same thing where I could complain about how it's been, there were tough moments. I mean, it's, it's 
Hollywood is uh, not for the faint of heart. And they called um, you. Hollywood called you. So that's <laughs> yeah. different instead of going out. And, and I didn't move there. Well, I went out with a job in my back pocket, and that job right. was in living color. So I'm fortunate in that regard. I also knew how to protect myself, and I knew how to, you know, um, no matter how wide eyed and doe eyed I was, or doe eyed I, I was, I was already like 28 when I moved. Um, um, I was, you know, I just, I knew what the pitfalls would be. I know you can't say, hey, Vera, you want to come to a party tonight? No, I don't want to come to a party. It also helps that I was married. And although my husband did not move with me, I, my eye was on a completely different other prize. I was not trying to be at parties with strange guys. And I just, I was, you know, I was like, nah, I'm good. And so um, a lot of the, the pitfalls that you hear about, I, I have to admit, I didn't witness because I just didn't put myself in those situations. Okay. Um, I didn't go where I was concerned, like what, what, or if I went somewhere and it was a little dicey, I go, no, I got to get, I got to go home. No, I'm good. I don't need to experiment with this, this, and this, because I already know, I already know where that's leading. Right. Um, I also, because I was a comedian, I got to tell you, I think that, um, I don't know. I don't know that I, I, you know, I never experienced the, nobody has, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I'm gonna, I have a badge of courage. I, no one ever asked me to, to, to lay down on the casting couch. I never got that. I never, no one ever made me an offer. So maybe I'm, <laughs> no one ever offered me that. Um, right. There are, you know, my struggle would be more of the, um, you know, the weight thing. We think you should be a little smaller, you know, the pressure to lose weight. Right. I got that when I was while I was at Living Single, actually. There were times where the producers would call my manager and go, she's got to lose some weight. Um, and that actually, the stress of that and the stress of being away from home or, or, the, or, the, or the stress of being happy. Like, I was happy. There was free food everywhere. Right. Was, you know, <laughs> Who doesn't like so free food? I, Good food, right. too. Good food, good free food. Yeah. So I did get several um, several moments of, oh, she's got to lose some weight. So that would be probably the the thing that I got more than people trying to hit on me or, you know, any, any of that kind of stuff, any of that kind of shenanigans. And, and then the other thing is the pressure of, it, you know, I chose a business in which you spend a great deal of time being told no. And that's just inherent in what I've chosen. Now, keep in mind, and, and this is what's important to note, too, is that I, um, I, I got noticed very quickly. I shot to stardom very quickly. I was on a national TV show. Within three years of me saying I wanted to do stand-up, I was on a national TV show. And then within two years of, of leaving that show, I was on another show. And so my downfall and my pressure and my pain didn't happen until after I left, after Living Single got canceled. Okay. So I was already well-established. I had already experienced success. I already experienced, I don't have to go to that party and, and hang out with those people because I got to go to work tomorrow morning. I'm not hungry for a job because I had one. It right. wasn't until the right. show got canceled that I experienced 
oh, wow, I'm getting no's now because I didn't need a yes. I was already working. Do you know what I'm saying? Or I had a holding deal. So my rejection time didn't happen until after the show was over. Um, and that was tough because I, had, I didn't have any experience with that. <laughs> um, and, and yet I know that that's part of the cycle. Like I'm not, I'm not new to the fact that I'm going to audition for something and I may or may not get it. Okay. And what I did, and it really relates to what I'm doing now, is I figured out I need to be doing other things just in case. And while I was doing Living Single, I actually wrote a book. Okay. I went on tour with that book and I wrote a one woman show and, and also went on the road with that. So I was doing other things, knowing that Living Single was not going to last for forever. I needed to prepare myself. Yeah. And so I really think that, that, that decisions that I made at that time uh, to diversify have kept me going to this day. I'm, I'm not just one thing. I'm not just an actress and a comedian. I'm also a, a teacher and a coach. I coach people on the power of storytelling. I now help people with, with the stuff that I've learned from my Hollywood world. I now teach people how to tell their stories and, and in particular entrepreneurs and business owners, how to tell their story in a, and others as well, but that's the, the main, you know, I don't know that there are many people teaching like Hollywood style story secrets to people who are not a part of Hollywood at all. So there's things that I know as a performer that I can teach you to be compelling and captivating when you speak or compelling and captivating uh, um, <clears throat> when you uh, try to gain new customers and clients and how to really connect to people in a way that just by using your own story. And so I have transitioned so that whether Hollywood calls again, whether I make an audition or not, no matter what, I still have something that I can do that's in my wheelhouse, in my zone of genius. Okay. Uh, that, that, that makes me happy and keeps me fulfilled and, and keeps food on the table. It may not be free food like on a set, but it's food <laughs> that I can buy from the set. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know yeah. what you mean. So let me ask yeah. you this. You said, you know, you went through your, your, your challenges after Hollywood. So what was your breakdown before your breakthrough of knowing ah. where you were going? Because we all have the my breakdown. breakdown. <laughs> yeah. My breakdown was uh, shopping through all of my money, shopping through all of my money, and um, getting so depressed that I was considering suicide. And I, I always, I'm always quick to tell people it's not just because I was not on a TV show. Right. It's that I didn't feel fulfilled. And, and <clears throat> if I had found fulfillment by making people laugh because I was funny in high school, if I had found fulfillment by performing on stage and, <clears throat> you know, doing my, my stand-up and my characters, if I found fulfillment by being on shows and getting a chance to make people laugh and just have a good time, and now suddenly that was stopped, it wasn't, I wasn't getting hired. I, I worked here and there, like I did a couple of episodes of Frasier, but that's not enough to keep you afloat. Uh, it's not enough to make you feel like, oh, I'm doing big things. And so my breakdown was getting so depressed that I was considering uh, suicide. And um, 
needing to get myself into therapy, I actually ended up putting myself in therapy because I said, this is, you know, suicidal thoughts. That's no joke. Get it together. And through that discovering, wow, I'm getting, I'm feeling so much better now. I wonder if I talk to people about this, if that's a good idea. So I would talk to other people about what I was going through about how I started feeling better my, better about myself. I just, I, I like to say I started sharing my transparent truth and it, it gave people, you know, we talked about inspiring others. Just by being myself, it inspired others to feel good about what they were going through also and that they could come back from it also. And who knew that it would become a speaking career and you know, books and products and services and the things I do now that keep me afloat, whether or not Hollywood calls. Like, I'm okay. I hope I get another show because I love doing that. It's so creative. It's so rewarding. But if it never happens for me again, I'm actually okay because I'm still doing my zone of genius. Absolutely. So, you know, you, you speak about coming through the fire. Share with us, how did you come through that fire? Because some, listen, you came through the fire and now you got your fierceness back. And I'm like, yes. I want to hear about that. And I want you to share with us, you know, because a lot of people that break down before that breakthrough, no matter if it's the first breakdown going through what you need to go through to get to success and or break down after success to break through to whatever else it is you yeah. need to be doing, which is a wonderful thing, what you're telling me now. And I'm going to come back to the storytelling because I want you to share with us a little bit about that. But tell us right. you know, about that breakdown before that breakthrough of coming into who Kim Coles is now and loving herself even more so. And not only right. that, going back saying, if I did this before all this happened, I can do this again and I can still love myself. Okay. Well, the breakdown was the depression and the breakdown was losing myself and losing my mojo. And the breakdown was considering checking out. Okay. And the breakthrough was realizing I needed to get help and getting myself into therapy. And then the second part of the breakthrough was realizing I got to tell other people about it. I have to become an evangelist for getting yourself together. I have to become an evangelist for for therapy and for um, prayer and for whatever you it is that you need to do to get yourself realigned with the truth of who you are, that outside forces, how much money you have, how many Louis bags you have, how many red bottoms you own are not enough to, um, that, that's just not enough, period. It's not enough. And realizing that being grateful for what I already had, even if I thought I didn't have anything, I actually have so much, even though, even as, you know, my house was almost taken away and my bills, I couldn't pay my bills. Like I actually, I had to sell my house in order to keep them from taking it away. That's a blessing. That and I happened to buy in the neighborhood that I, the house appreciated. I made some money and then I shopped through all of that. And then I did it a second time. And so being grateful for all the lessons, being grateful that I finally figured it out and understanding, and this is the phrase I love to say, I got from Zig Ziglar that you can have everything you want if you help enough people get what they want. Oh. And once I realized that it's not about me, right. when I realized that it's not about my problem, if I just help people from the place where I am and get them where they want to be, I will be happier, I will be healthier, 
and opportunities will come my way. And so that's what I started to do. And that's how the storytelling and the speaking and the teaching the storytelling, it all came out of me realizing, oh gosh, I'm going to have to help other people because I can't be the only one that's in pain. And so I did. Amazing. And so I did. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. God helps those who promotes others, and it always comes yes. back to you tenfold. And being out here yes. helping others and sharing your story helps people. I mean, even Indeed. sharing your story with me and your audience, I mean, and the audience today is amazing. You know, people, mm. people want to know and people want to identify. So I know your story will resonate with a lot of our listeners. And I, I really thank you for sharing that because not everybody thank you. has a story. And what I call it, I call it love your story. So everything is around the word story and around, um, it starts with story. So it's love your story. And in fact, people can go to loveyourstorylive.com to get more information or go to my website, kimcoles.tv. Uh, I have something I call the community. Community, K-I-M-U-N-I-T-Y, where I have this really cool Facebook page and we are inspirational and we, you know, talk about positive things and talk about things just like this. And then I give people information on how they can join me in learning how to love their story. And then the second part of that is helping people begin to speak their story, share their story with others, get their, get the good news out about their breakdowns and breakthroughs. Right. And I bless every moment of difficulty because it made me stronger. I bless every moment of pain or not understanding because it got me to understanding. I, I wouldn't be where I am today without my journey, you know? And so I take it seriously and I'm, and I'm, and I'm blessed. I'm like blessed and grateful for all of it. You are. I mean, I love this community mm-hmm. and I'm going to tell everybody about that. And we're going to, yes, the community. We over. K-I-M. Yeah, you just go to, on Facebook and look up the community, request permission, and I let everybody in. I'll let you in. Oh, I'm coming in. Don't worry. I'm not going to. Okay, good. All right, good. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, you said something on stage here, and I thought that was very interesting. You were telling the audience, you know, you were saying, do you guys know, you, ha- you have no idea what it's like being on the red carpet with Will Smith yeah. and having $27 to your name. I thought, wow okay, we're about to hear something really good here. This is going to be a lesson coming <laughs> from her. Yeah, I, I, wish I, had more, I wish I had more time to tell the story then. I wish I had more time to tell you the story now. It's really oh. incredible to be, because, you know, Will Smith is, you know, you know, he's an A-A-A-list star. Right, right. And so right. his red carpet, you know, most of us go to these red carpet events you have no idea. It's like, you know, take that and multiply it times a billion because all the press shows up and international press shows up. Um, and he is so charming and he says hello to everyone and gives you a kiss on the cheek. He's just lovely. I've met him off and on over the years. And I'm, I always tell him that he reminds me of my baby brother. My baby brother is right. sort of tall and lanky like that, but doesn't have as much money as him. And he, every time he sees me, he goes, I know, I know, I know. I remind you of your brother. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> he doesn't even know that I'm broken, broken. And so I have $27 in my name. I can't even tell you how far in debt I am. And there I am on the red carpet having to smile and take pictures and click, click, click. And I wore something that was in my closet. There was nobody giving me free clothes. And I didn't, I couldn't afford to buy anything new. So I wore something I already had. And 
I was just like, this is so surreal. And the reason why $27 is important is that that's not even enough to pay for the car service to get me home. This is before Uber. Like you had to like pay the guy. And luckily I shared a ride with someone else and she split it with me. And so, you know, I had enough for food the next day, you know, but it's just the juxtaposition of that. And knowing what I know now is that A, I'm not the only one. B, I'm not the only one in Hollywood who's broken, broken. That's right. we're human people. Remember what we said before, they were all just the same. Absolutely. And I know that I'm not the only one who, you know, may be struggling with financial difficulty and trying to figure things out. And the, the, the trick is to educate yourself and prepare yourself and to take your, 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 your gifts and make them work for you and let them, you know, make you wealthy again you know, and, and not trying to keep up with the Joneses because you find out the Joneses are broke too. Okay. Um, <laughs> and just, you know, to put your value on what really, really matters and help others and you have no idea how it comes back to you. It could be some, you know, resources show up for you because you're doing the work that you're here to do. If you work, it works. Yep. So, it works if you work it. That's what I always say. It works if you work it. That's right. Well, I have mm -hmm. one more question for you because I know I've taken up a lot of your time and I'm so <laughs> grateful that you've been here talking about gratitude. I am grateful, honey. <laughs> Thank you, Jane. Really yes. Um, if there was one question that you wanted people to ask themselves on a daily basis, what would that question be? Hmm. The question would be, when faced with anything that may be challenging or difficult or you don't understand, you just go, what is it here to teach me? What is this here to teach me? Or what's the lesson in this? And when you look at it from that perspective, it, I think it changes. I think it um, gets a little bit easier to go, okay, so this has presented itself. What is it here to teach me? Or how can I be better. And I don't mean judging yourself. I'm just like, how can I approach this in a way that's new and different than I've ever done it before? And it just gives you a fresh perspective. You know, for example, my flight was, so this event that where we met, where we met the second time, um, I was supposed to be on a plane last night, but my plane got canceled. In fact, the first flight didn't get canceled, but my, my second connecting flight got canceled. That means I would have been stuck in an airport overnight and what's interesting is american airlines kept sending me um uh, notifications that my flight was getting pushed out further and further and further so i would have been sleeping in the dallas airport oh. because it was three o'clock in the morning and then it was two o'clock in the morning it was five o'clock it was just and so i'm like well why am i maybe i'm supposed to still be here and so we were able to do this interview today because i'm still here with you we're still in the same time zone i'm not tired and home, you know, trying to unpack. I was able to meet some more people today. Uh, I was able to have other experiences. I was able to shoot a little video with the video videographers. That would have cost me maybe $1,000 to hire a team to come and shoot the stuff I needed to shoot. They're like, we'll shoot it for you. Like, what? And so you just look and go, what's the lesson? Or what does this present? Or what, how can I look at this in a fresh new way? And it just opens up amazing possibilities. So I'm all about the possibilities. Absolutely. So what she's saying, guys, in a nutshell is don't take it in a negative way. 
things. No, no. Even negative things. I go, okay, so what can I do with this? Can I do something with this? Just ask yourself the question. Maybe you can't, but maybe you can. That's right. I thank you so much, Kim. And I want you, please just repeat that, where they can find you and tell them about oh, the yes. community you have. Yes. KimColes.tv. And when you go to my website, you can actually click on the button that says join the community that takes you to my Facebook page. Or you can just look for the community. Sometimes people put too many M's and they're like, ah, I thought it's just better to say go to KimColes.tv and click on the button that says the join the community and that takes you there. Or if you want to see the page that has the information about the Love Your Story workshops, just go to loveyourstorylive.com uh, and that has the information there. Oh, thank you so much. I am so happy you loved on us tonight. I'm so thank happy you. you were here. Um, I'm definitely hoping you get home, but I'm happy that you were here to do this interview and tell my audience who, who, where Kim is, what Kim's doing, and Kim's loving on everybody and just spreading love and giving positive information now. And I am so happy to have talked to you. You have definitely epitomized from execution to excellence, and you have given us mm -hmm. a great, great, great show tonight. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Thank you, Bond, James Bond. <laughs> I'm sure we'll see you again. And we're going <laughs> to down and we're going to have some good food then. <laughs> To be continued. <laughs> All right. And I'll okay, be joining you in Kim community. Okay. Thank you. I'll Thank be. you. Thank you. You have a great day. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye, Kim. Wow, what a great interview with Kim Coles. I'm sure she brought back so many memories for you guys because she brought back plenty for me. You can find Kim Coles at kimcoles.tv. And also, Kim is out here teaching people how to tell their own story, guys. And she would love for you to join her community. Please do not forget to subscribe, rate, and review from execution to excellence. And we will see you the next time.